following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. 2003 to 2009, she was the resident teacher at the Forest Refuge there at uh, IMS, and that's where Mark is doing his retreat right now. She has moved to Minneapolis, and it's a great benefit uh, to us here. She will be assisting Mingyur Rinpoche in carrying forth his worldwide vision as an instructor. And Mingyur Rinpoche will be Saturday, May 22nd. And uh, he, everyone says he's really an amazing, lovely man. And uh, Miyoshin pulled up her roots to move to Minneapolis to support him. Thanks, Thank you. <laughs> this is my day. <laughs> Everything's not quite. I got lost on the way here. <laughs> so it happens to put a country girl in the city. Let's try that. You'll be honest. This is okay. Okay. So. Welcome to everyone, and a happy Mother's Day to all mothers. Without mothers, none of us would be here. And the, the Buddha talked about the gratitude that um, we should have towards our parents because it's such an immeasurable gift. And yes, I just like to honor the mothers. So today I'm going to talk about the judging mind. I think this is something that many people can relate to. It's an aspect of our experience that we can encounter relentlessly. You know, just when we walk into a room, what can go on in the mind? You know, just instantaneously, judgments, judgments, judgments. And we judge in all kinds of ways. We might um, judge others. If we walk into a room in our city, you know, somebody moves, we think, oh, you know, they're no good, they can't sit still, you know. Or we might judge other people for how they parent their child. Um, just innumerable ways we will judge others. We judge ourselves. We can be very, very harsh and savage and just, you know, whatever we do, it's not quite right. We sit and our concentration isn't strong enough, our breath isn't long enough, it's too controlled. You know, and in our lives can have real habits of um, being super critical of ourselves. And you know, we're trying to live up to some standard of perfection that is just impossible and is really painful to try to do. It becomes very lacerating this voice in the mind. Or we might have judgments about how we think other people are judging us. So th this can be that you know we sit here and we suddenly sneeze and we think that we've been rejected by everyone else in the room. And then we might have go into a whole dialogue of defense. You know, I really couldn't help it. I've got a cold today. You know, and nobody said a word, but we just move into this dialogue around it. Um, or we can be very judgmental about how things are run. You know, something like the center here. 
how it's run, how the landscaping is being done, how the teachings happen, how it should be different, how people should practice differently. No, it would just become a great authority on how things should be. And you know, all of this is just conditioned thought. It comes out of our conditioning, could come from our childhood, from our friends, peers. It can have a spiritual value, material value, uh, but it's all conditioned. And it's not an accurate reflection of the truth of the way things are. And we really see this when you know, we, ha- we meet somebody for the first time, and there's that instant judgment. And then maybe we're forced to spend some time with this person, and we realize that our judgment was totally false. Uh, I actually was teaching in New York City. And it was just interesting to watch this person around, you know, the, the, the way their mind had set something up. So I was teaching in New York City, and at the, it was a day long. At the end of the day, this woman comes up to me, and she says, you know, I've been guided here. I've asked some people. I sat with this teacher a couple of years ago, and I really liked this teacher, and the people told me that it was you. But when I arrived here, you were sitting up at the front of the hall. You looked like the all-American girl. I'm actually Canadian, but (laughs) you looked like the all-American girl. It was held in an elementary school, and around the walls were all these paintings from children. And she said, you know, I was kind of disappointed to see you weren't her. But I stayed, and, you know, it was a benefit to me, so I'm happy that I was here. And then I said, well, who, who was the person you were looking for? I wanted to help her find them. And since I know a number of teachers, I thought maybe I could be helpful. And she says, well, the woman taught here a few years ago, and she had almost a shaved head, and she taught at a place called the Tibet House. I said, hmm, well, you know, actually, I am that woman. <laughs> I have... <laughs> come back from Asia where I've been temporarily ordained as a nun. I shaved my head uh, at that time and uh, was teaching in this place where there was really sacred Tibet art around. So, you know, it had a different vibe to this elementary school. But it was just, and in that moment, she was like, oh my goodness. You know, and yet we do this. We, we just create these stories, ideas, these fabrications, and then we live as if it's true. And then, you know, if these judgments are towards ourselves, they, they, all of the forms of judgment actually create a sense of separation. And yet we don't stop and feel the pain of that. We don't stop and feel what that does to us. We don't feel the suffering that is there. And sometimes the, the judging mind even masks as being a sort of wisdom that protects us. So somebody does something, you know, is unkind to us in a certain way. We have an instant judgment that dismisses them, and it keeps us from feeling whatever pain may have been touched. So it can disguise itself, and yet if we look deeper, we will see that too is not the truth. In the Abhidhamma, which is the Buddhist analysis of mind and mental processes, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a book that breaks down experience into, uh, you know, just analyzes and puts in different categories experience. Um, It's quite phenomenal in its breakdown. 
and you know, at times can drive me nuts. <laughs> but anyhow, it talks about judgment as being a form of conceit. And it says that it is imagination not based in reality. And I think it's really important to see that it is just imagination, to see it for what it is, because then we can stay connected with things as they are and find a voice of wise discernment rather than just this conditioned thought pattern that uh, leads to suffering. And conceit is really the place, the construction of I am, where we separate ourselves from others. And in, this is meaning in an unhealthy way. You know, there's a relative level where that's really useful, but there's also a way in our minds where we start to separate and create barriers of division that lead to suffering. And this is what happens with the judging mind, this form of conceit. And when we look at, in the Buddhist teachings, there is three forms of conceit. There is the conceit of being superior, where there is some form of self-exaltation, where uh, we might sit and we can sit longer than other people. And we are a good yogi. <laughs> we might actually be motivated by a sense of wanting to be superior. So we set so that we will become, we will be fully enlightened. Everyone else will recognize how wise and kind we really are. But it's from this view of wanting to be better than. We, when we have this superiority, we tend to puff up. No, you know, so somebody says something nice to you. And it's like, hmm, yes, yes, I am very good. And, uh, but if we look at that, we start to see in truth it's really painful. You know, the sense of needing to be something, somebody, in order to be okay, to be better than. And always trying to be better, you know, the competition that arises, trying to exceed or excel all the time and that's just exhausting and you know we all have different capacities so it's not going to be that we will uh, excel in every capacity I mean it just doesn't happen that way and so you know it's certainly evident sometimes when we meet people who who really have a need to be better than you know, and it's just feeling the pain of it or feeling it in ourselves when that is our patterning. You know, to, to feel both in the moment of puffing up, already there's a sense of separation, a sense of comparing oneself to another to feel okay. Painful. At one point in my own practice, I was, I was on a long retreat, and at some point I noticed there was some kind of superior judging going on. And so every time I'd see this thought of judgment arise in my mind, I had this way to balance it so I didn't ca get caught into the spiral of judging the judger. I'd see it and then I'd say, oh, just another place to be right. You know? <laughs> 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 you 
and this is certainly something we see in the judging mind. But to hold it, you know, it's like we don't want to buy into it. We also want to see these patterns unfold with humor. Uh, the second form of conceit is that of feeling inferior, where we compare ourselves to others and we don't match up. We have some flaw. You know, and sometimes this can be really savage. You know, we feel like we are intrinsically flawed and have the strong patterns of self-criticism, self-hatred, um, self-blame. And it, you know, again, is, is on this model of being a perfectionist. And, you know, just all of the measuring sticks, we never match. And, and then feeling inferior. Um, Mingyu Rinpoche, who was mentioned at the, in the introduction, he has said, uh, I was in a teaching once, and this really struck me, because I think inferiority is something that I have felt in my life, uh, probably more strongly than superiority. Um, and he said this, he was giving teachings on the preciousness of a human birth. And then he said, it is inappropriate to disparage ourselves and put ourselves down when we have within us the awakened potential. <clears throat> just in the hearing of that was like, wow. You know, just seeing, you know, sometimes we even get comfortable. We have the idea of being less than, and we that becomes familiar. And then just to see him say that it's inappropriate. I think it's a really good word for it. But again, we need to learn to hold this lightly if we see this pattern in our lives. And I want to share with you a story that comes from, it just shows me how much practice has helped me in my life because I did have such strong measuring sticks of perfection. Uh, my mother tells a story when I was a child, how I came home in grade one from school, and I, I couldn't stop crying. And so she called up one of my school friends and said, what happened? And my friend said to her, she got something wrong. You know, and it was just so painful that as a young child, I couldn't stop crying. So earlier this year in the winter, uh, I had the wonderful opportunity of cross-country skiing a lot in uh, Highland Park. Um, and it was something I did regularly. And then one day, I was going to go for a cross-country ski. And then I had to go to the bank and to a shop first. And I went out to go for this ski. And um, when I went outside, I kept thinking, wow, it's cooler today. And then I looked at the temperature. And I thought, well, that's odd. You know, It's the same temperature it was yesterday. How come it feels so much cooler? And then I went to the bank first and came out from the bank and again thought, had this thought. I went into the shop. I came out again. I had this thought. I got in the car. I drove and I stopped at the ski place to go skiing. And just as I was about to get on the trail, I thought, you know, it really does feel colder today. What's going on? And so I looked down and I discovered I didn't have my pants on. <laughs> I did have a long john. <laughs> but I'll never forget that moment of looking down and then thinking where I'd been. <laughs> it was quite a shock. 
But the difference in my life now is I laughed so hard. And I really laughed for weeks. You know? Just every time I thought of it. I mean, I laughed till I had tears streaming down my face. And this is the power of the practice. <laughs> that we can make mistakes in our lives and hold them lightly. Ah, and then the third form of conceit is where we compare ourselves to others and are equal to. Now, at first when I heard this in the Buddhist teachings, I thought, well, that seems odd. Isn't equality a good thing? And what this uh, is, is pointing to is the comparing mind of being equal to. And if we really look, we can see the suffering in it. And a good example is, I used to live in Australia. And Australia, at one point, was uh, had a number of peasants and convicts come over from England. And they were settling into the country. And because they had been looked down upon in their lives, they didn't want this new settlement to reflect that aspect. And so it happened that whenever anybody started to rise up amongst other people, you know, to, to stand out in some way, they cut them down. And they developed what's called the tall poppy syndrome, where it doesn't allow people to rise up in their unique capacities. We also uh, can see, maybe from our family life, for myself, certainly from years of living in community, where when we are living from a place of being equal to, it sets out the mind in a certain way to check that nobody's getting more goodies than us, that there's an equal distribution. And it can actually lead to rivalry, competitiveness, uh, and, and some you know, pretty nasty situations where, again, somebody's unique capacities might start to shine a light on them at certain times. And yet, really, if we even look at nature, within a hierarchy, it can be based on function rather than worth. When we're using equality as worth, that's where it gets tricky. Whereas if you look at something like a tree, a tree has its roots that are under the ground. It has branches, the trunk. It has leaves that get the sunshine. You know, the, the leaves getting the sunshine could feel superior, but in fact, they wouldn't be there without the roots under the earth. And then, you know, if you look at like the running of a center, that it needs to have a way in which the hierarchy allows for function. Because if there is, say, a leak in the roof, you want the person who understands construction to have the most say in that rather than the person greeting at the door. You know, it, it's just there's something helpful in that. So, you know, we have to watch where we start to hold this value of comparing oneself to being equal in unhealthy ways. So this judging mind or this conceit of I am is something that is actually going to be around for a long time. We, you know, we can really suffer from the grosser levels of it. But in a refined sense, this, this I am doesn't disappear until full awakening. And so, you know, rather than think it's something bad or wrong, it's to really develop a healthy relationship with it. 
So how can we do this? The first is to be able to recognize it. If we don't recognize it, we are run by it. Now, it's just the way these conditioned thoughts come in and we live as if it's true. But if we recognize it, we know it's just the judging mind. We can keep the mind open, present. We can be with. And in this way, the judgment then becomes a support for our meditation because it's an aspect of experience we can be aware of. And if we don't react to it, it's just a conditioned thought. It arises in the mind. It's not fed. It disappears, just like everything else that's conditioned. And it doesn't rule our lives. If we do get caught in reactivity, because often when the judging mind arises, it has a harshness to it. Whether we are self-righteous in judging others, or whether we are really hard on ourselves, it can be very painful. And it's you know often not a pretty sight when we actually see it. So being able to recognize it, to see it, and then there might be a reaction to it, then we become aware of the reaction. And if we pay attention, we start to see how that all feeds into the strengthening of judging mind, if we aren't aware. No, but if we become aware, we begin to see what's underlying it, what's, what's the, the uh, more, more depth to the cause of what's going on. And this is really helpful. So you know, if we start to feel the pain of the judging mind, don't think you're doing something wrong, but let it be there. Let it be felt. But don't feed that. You know, just feel it. Feel it in the body. You know, some, the, a lot with the judging mind, we feel a contraction in the heart. So just touching that. If the judging, if you find you get the judger of the judging mind, which is really painful, you know, is like uh, becomes a very contracted state. You know, there you are judging again. You shouldn't be doing that, and it, it proves you're a horrible person. So if you see that, that's actually the place for compassion, for kindness. You know, to just see if you can't touch that pain with kindness. And one thing for me that's been really helpful is to remember at those moments that this is suffering and that all beings caught in delusion suffer in this same way. And that helps to depersonalize it. It's not just you. It's when, when this mind state is identified with. That's where the pain is. So seeing if in those moments where there is the judging of the judger, if we can't be a little kinder, a little more compassionate, and just let our hearts soften. If we get hooked into the self-righteousness, to just watch that pull in that mind, that wanting to be right, that it's phenomenal at times. You know, then that's what I was encountering on that retreat where I came up with that line, just another place to be right. You know, to, to, to just see and to feel the pain of that because we are not connecting with what's going on in that moment. You know, we are not allowing our feelings to be there. 
We and it doesn't allow us to really hear another person if we're speaking to them. Areas in our life where we are likely to encounter um, the judging mind are around the eight worldly concerns or the eight vicissitudes of life. And these are just situations that we encounter as a human being in the world. So the, the first two of these are pleasure and pain. That we often find that when there's an abundance of pleasure, it's good. Now if, if, you know, on a day where it's a nice sunny day, we feel the warmth of the sun, we're out walking, we're with somebody who we really like to be with, uh, and somebody asks us how we're doing, we say we're great. And yet if conditions are unpleasant, if it's, you know, we're encountering uh, difficult maybe mind states or unpleasant sensations in the body, somebody asks us how we're doing, we're terrible. You know, if we're sitting and we have a really good sit, you know, where it's abundance of ple- pleasure, was a wonderful sitting. If we're sitting and it's a struggle, it's a horrible sitting. You know, and it's just unpleasant experience. Yet we identify with that, we judge in a way that hardens and creates a sense of solidity of who we are. And so, you know, it's really helpful to see just pleasure as pleasure, pleasant as pleasant, or unpleasant as unpleasant, without defining ourselves, without creating this sense of I am, according to these experiences. We also find this uh, when we experience gain and loss in our lives. When maybe we've been through a period where, for whatever reasons, uh, our material wealth was accumulated. And then maybe we got sick, or the stock market fell. And, you know, it was just, we lost what we had. Again, if we are creating the sense of I am, this will be really painful. And really in life, you know, it's like the ebb and flow of the ocean. That there's times of abundance, there's times of scarcity. Again, we don't have to create this sense of I am around this. We find this very strongly around praise and blame. Now, I've certainly seen this in being a teacher. You know, that, that I'll give a Dharma talk and then I'll uh, be interviewing people. Someone will come in and say, oh, that was so wonderful, helpful. You know, it was, it was just great. And, you know, if I get all inflamed and then it can happen, the next person comes in talking about the same talk, even in the same point in the talk. You never should have said that. No, that was not good. And you know, if it's like we get, you know, it's that sense of getting puffed up and deflated. Uh, it's really painful. And yet, it's, and it's a wonderful place because it happens a lot in our lives. Someone could just compliment us on how we're dressed, and then just to see what the mind does with it. You know, it, is it? Does it? create some elation. I mean, not that we don't receive it, but at the same time, it doesn't have much to do with the nature. You know, it's just the packaging. (laughs) 
And so just to watch or somebody blames you for something, that can be so painful. You know, somebody blaming you, especially if it's something you know is not true, just the sense of contraction, the anger, the frustration, the rage that can happen in those moments. So it's really fruitful to watch. Another um, place to watch is maybe some of us haven't encountered this in our lives, but fame <laughs> and disrepute. But uh, you know, we we see this politicians, uh, Hollywood stars. You know, or there could be different levels, you know, even within our company that we work in, where you know we might be in really good standing one day, and then something happens, and it could be minuscule, and for whatever reason, it's like you're at the bottom again. No, and that too, if that is what we are defining ourselves by, is going to be really painful, and we just start to see how this judging mind feeds into our sense of well-being. And if, if it really is hinged to I am, all of these will be painful. And yet there is in our lives a sense of well-being that is accessible to us that doesn't take energy. It's, it's from contacting our true nature. You know, it's from really being able to be with the truth of life as it is. And that that then we just hear the, we're in, we hear praise and blame, and it, you know, it's just something being said in the moment about a condition, and we we aren't thrown about by it. We aren't at sea in life based on these causes and conditions. I'd like to. Uh, I really like this story, so I'd like to just share this story with you. And it's about the eight winds of life and someone feeling like they had really uh, found a place of equanimity with these. Sudampo, a famous Buddhist poet of the Song Dynasty, was assigned to an official post which was situated at the northern shore of the Yangtze River. Across the river on the southern shore was Golden Mountain Temple where a famous Chan master presided. One day, Sudongpo, feeling quite advanced in his practice, wrote a poem and asked his attendant to send it to the Chan Master for verification. And the poem went, Bowing with my highest respect to the Deva of Devas, the Buddha, whose fine light illuminates the whole universe, the eight winds cannot move me, for I am sitting upright on the golden purple lotus blossom of spiritual attainment. After receiving the poem from the attendant and reading it, the Chan master picked up the brush and wrote down one word as his comment. When the attendant came back with the poem, Sudong Po expected words of praise from the Chan master and quickly opened it to read the comment. However, on that page, nothing was written except the word fart. <laughs> which is P in, in Chinese, which means utter nonsense. <laughs> Upon seeing such an insult, Sudangpo was ablaze with the fire of anger. Immediately he boarded a boat and crossed the Yangtze River to argue with the master. Before the boat even pulled onto the shore, the Chan master was already standing there waiting for him. Upon seeing him, Sudangpo said, Chan master, we are such intimate Dharma friends. 
It is fine that you do not compliment my practice or my poem, but how can you insult me like this? Innocently, as if nothing has happened, the Chan master asks, how have I insulted you? Without saying another word, Sudampo simply showed the word fart to him. Laughing wholeheartedly, the Chan master said, oh, didn't you say that the eight winds cannot move you? How come? <laughs> How come you were sent across the river with just a fart? <laughs> Hearing that, Hoyan said, Sudangpo was extremely embarrassed. <laughs> so we really. <laughs> We really need to explore this aspect of the judging mind in our lives and to see if we can't make friends with it. Friends with it in a way that really allows us to blossom and flower in our unique capacities. And yeah, just to end, I want to end with a poem from a Kenrin Kushi, who's a 17th century Zen poet. The morning glory which blooms for an hour differs not at heart from the giant pine which lives for a thousand years. Flowering in our unique capacities when we make friends with the judging mind. So we have a few minutes now to, uh, for questions, comments. Anything you'd like to share? Yes. Um, there's much to think about what you said, and my question really is about, about institutions. Mm-hmm. The way institutions judgments is a red blood cells of institutions. Mm-hmm. There's a way that institutions are based on producing judgments. And that many of our work, many of our jobs, remember that there is a faculty of wise discernment, but that is not from the reactive mind. That is from the voice of wisdom and compassion. And so that by using our practice in our own hearts and minds to see where it is just the reactive mind will help us to make decisions based in wise discernment rather than that reactivity, which is always going to be a benefit in any situation that we cannot control organizations and how they make their value judgments. But we can certainly, through being more aware in our own, to see where there actually strikes notes of discord where it's too much, that you know we will be in a total compromised situation that feels unhealthy to ourselves, or that this is you know, we don't ha- it's not always going to match up totally, but this is something I can let go of because it's, it, you know, it's minor, it's not so whatever, and my sense of integrity is intact. So, you know, 
we can't do, some of us might be in positions where we can be in the position of doing more evaluation within a company and then to watch where the conditioning is coming for that. You know, whether sometimes we get swept away in tidal waves of, of uh, you know, being with peers. We might, uh, peers who, who maybe have some unwholesome tendencies. It's easy to get swept along in that. And that's where we need to be really astute, really aware, um, to watch where things are coming from. Anyone else? Yes. Honestly, and I suspect this applies to many, that you know, the judgments that we have being very tiny or big, but very often the tiny ones come from years and years of learning, either family, cultural, you know, innumerable sources. And so when we happen along the world of Buddhism, we start our practice, and we start unwinding this and become aware of this, which is a really wonderful thing. But uh, the, the reality is, it's this has had a nice running start. <laughs> you know, uh, in our practice, do you have any thoughts about that relationship? It's years and years and years of learning. In fact, the, the threading is so fine that I don't know if you ever can realistically uh, get at the, you know, get at it or expected to get to the point where you're not uh-huh. engaged in with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one good piece of news is it said that the road to awakening is paved with patience. I know. <laughs> we have ample opportunity to learn patience with ourselves. And I think that's really important. You know, that if you become demanding of yourself, oh, actually, that's where you'll get into judging the judger. You see another pattern yet again. And so it's where we have, you know, kind of our karmic knots. We, we really do need to have compassion, kindness, acceptance, um, compassion, to just really be able to recognize this is a place that gets triggered a lot. And then, you know, our mindfulness practice helps the mind to become steadier around these patterns. And out of that, it, it, you know, it's like it starts to disentangle. It's not that we do it, but by the mind being more stable in the face of that we start to see where that where that to pick up is, and we feel the pain of that, and the mind lets go. You know, wisdom starts to come of its own accord when the mind is steady, and so that's what we work with. And we might begin to see the changes in our lives in smaller areas. You know, where there somebody just does something that's mildly irritating, and you have more space for it, and then maybe. You know, families, wonderful as they are, often hold our deepest conditioning. And we, certainly it can be that, you know, for traveling home to see family that we've been apart from, we might find our old reactive patterns come up right away. But don't be discouraged by it. You know, and just there to recognize, to just go, okay, I'm really working in tough terrain here. And, and well, not every family is like this, but it can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kindness, patience, and not to be discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to uh, address the equality mm-hmm. thing. The 
way I explain it to myself is that whether you feel superior, inferior, or equal, you're still basing your judgment on comparing That's it to right. someone else. Yeah. And so it almost isn't the content. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's that you're preoccupied with constructing a self. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, I just wanted to, to say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and is that kind of what? That's you're totally at? accurate. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, now yeah. I feel really good. <laughs> 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 I just wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's totally accurate. It's really this contraction of I am. I am. Um, you had kind of started off the discussion about how when you become in judgment that you are separating yourself. And I'm kind of wondering if you have any thoughts on the idea that I found that even I, I can see that separation when I start to catch myself in a judgment or I see other people in judgment. I can see that separation, but I can also see a lot of separation in embracing my own judgment and sharing that with people. Mhm. Mhm. So you mean like taking gossip for an example? Well, I just have a situation where um, I was sitting on a bus at work with like about eight people on the bus driver, and the bus driver saw this woman coming, and she had a purple tan on. Uh huh. And the bus driver was like. Hmm. Purple candles. And she said it to everybody on the bus, and I remember sitting there thinking to myself, how awful. Why is she in judgment? She's sitting here sharing with everybody, and that's just a form of violence. And I was like going through this whole story in my head, and then I stopped and I realized I'm, I'm the one that's in judgment here of her behavior. So I kind of like stood back and I'm like, oh, it's kind of interesting. And I was processing it. And during lunch, we all, the girls sit around and they chit chat about things. And I mentioned this whole story and was talking to the coworkers about how I caught myself in that judgment of somebody else judging somebody else. And we had this discussion. And um, the reaction that I got was uh, that my thinking too much is dangerous. <laughs> change the world but nobody wants to change themselves and and really our work is with our own hearts and minds and that will have whatever effect it has and and you know if if we're sharing something that really was of value to us and it wasn't received we we can't control that you know that it's like we offer our gift freely and then let it be what it is and and does it I just caught myself 
Uh-huh. Well, you know, in our lives, we will look to see what's appropriate at times uh, and to see whether the appropriate is fear-based or we don't want to stir the pot. Where sometimes if something gets stirred, it can actually be healthy. Who knows from that conversation whether somebody went home and actually thought to them, reflected in a healthy way about what you said? We'll never know. So um, what you want to watch is it's just not your shutting down out of fear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think we are up at the point where the children are about to enter. While we're waiting, I'd just like to say I encourage you, all of you in the next week to pay particular attention to this aspect of experience and just to see in your own experience how it impacts and the difference when we become aware of it. <laughs> so you can come up to the front if you like. Anyone's welcome to come up to the front that wants to. So does somebody want to? Sure. We'll be singing from page 44 of the
Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I thank you all for your pa- all for your pa-